Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. The Himalayan region of Kashmir has been a flashpoint between India and Pakistan for over six decades. Today it remains one of the most militarized zones in the world. Add China to the mix and, well, you might want to choose another region for your next family vacation. Here to talk about Kashmir and its religious liberty challenges is Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Lincoln, what's the latest? Well, I do want to speak about the latest, but uh, as, as I read that and have talked to other people, I'm not sure that too many people are, are well aware of Kashmir. I'm not, I don't think it's really on the radar. Perhaps the most that the general population, certainly in the United States, pick up on is periodically they hear that India and Pakistan have traded a few shots in the mountains yes. up near Kashmir. And they do trade some big shots. They have cannon and full-blown military forays, usually by Pakistan into Kashmir. But both sides have a lot at stake in this. And it's worth discussing because this is at root a religious struggle. It's worth going back a little bit. Actually, before World War II, England, which is a lovely country to visit nowadays, you you know, green pastures and little houses and quaint houses, a quaint house of parliament that sometimes meets. You know, England once, it's worth remembering, ruled a quarter of the world. And for many hundreds of years, they ruled India. Uh, In fact, there was a film by the title and a term at the time that India was the jewel in the crown of England's rule and of the... Queen Victoria's crown, the jewel in the crown, the prime possession. And it was enduring. And in fact, if you go to India today, you can see just how enduring. A lot of the artifacts of British rule are still there. The railways are much the same. The bureaucracy that they ingrained into India has continued. and, and, And the rule is quite stable overall. But in the years preceding independence, things became very unstable, not because of England's doing, although I guess you could blame them for not training up their soon-to-be-independent child correctly. Mm -hmm. But as independence loomed and seemed more likely, and of course this was in the years before World War II, and and World War II put it all on steroids with the uh, Japanese invasions into aspects of that subcontinent. As the need for independence came, things that had been put aside or at least ignored for a while, like the huge religious divides in this massive country, only very, very small, a slightly smaller population than China, approaching a billion people. Now, the religious divide suddenly became everything. And uh, at first, England tried to ignore it, as admittedly they tried to ignore, I think, about 60 years or so earlier when they had the so-called Sepoy Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think people even remember this. But the, the British Army, maintaining order in India and elsewhere around the world, but in particular in India, it was largely made up of locals with English officers. And it worked quite well. They could go off and tackle some local lord who was rising up against the overall uh, centralized authority, no problem. But many of the soldiers were Muslim, 
And some of those who wanted instability and were against the, the British Crown spread a malicious rumour that the cartridge cases that the uh, Indian troops or sepoys were using were actually coated in uh, pig's fat. Oh, okay, okay. And the Muslims went ballistic. Yes, yes. So they had a full-scale insurrection and rebellion, and England put it down with a lot of loss of life. Now explain why the Muslims had a hard time with that. Well, the Quran, as the Old Testament for Jews, yeah. is quite adamant that believers are not to eat pork, pig, you know, the swine. Yeah. It's an unclean meat. Mm-hmm. Muslims have taken it even to a new level. It's just the most offensive thing on the face of the planet for them to have anything to do with pig. Mm -hmm. So this was a desecration of their beliefs to the nth degree, if it were true, and it was not true, ironically. But that was enough to send Muslim troops rioting and and killing their their officers. But, you know, that was in the past. By the time talk of independence was being noised around, it seemed, as you tried to extract early on, it seemed a purely political process. And England uh, entered into negotiations with different leaders. There was Jawaharlal Nehru and the uh, famous Mahatma Gandhi. But then things started to go south. The uh, Muslim minority, but they were something like a quarter of the population or about 15, 20% of the population, became very restive, believed that they would be persecuted by the uh, Hindu majority, as well as a number of other religions, including the Sikhs, started to get agitated. And then a a leader arose uh, in parliament, Jinnah, who advocated a separate homeland for Muslims. Mm -hmm. And that dispute got pretty hot and heavy. Gandhi, people have forgotten why he was killed, but he was largely killed because of this fight between the the Hindu nationalists and the Muslims. And Gandhi did not want to separate the religions. He wanted a single unified India. What really set the cat among the pigeons was a speech by Jinnah in, I think it was 1946, where he... uh, spoke of a homeland, and pushed, which he'd always done, but he's pushed for it really hard and suggested that there was going to be some violence. And so uh, Muslims, picking up on that, attacked Hindus, killed quite a few of them. But as I remember, in response, the Hindus then went on the rampage and killed at least 5,000 Muslims. So there was a lot of bloodshed at that time. And against the wishes of Gandhi, and of course then he was killed before uh, it could all come to fruition, but against his advice, against the advice of the British, and Lord Louis Mountbatten was involved there, uh, against everybody's better judgment except Jinnah and the, the Muslim minority, there was a partition, and it happened at a time of great violence what we would call today ethnic cleansing, bloodshed, movements of millions of people. The numbers are hard to calculate, but at least 15 million people, Hindus and Muslims, moved one way or the other to get into their homeland away from the other religion. And out of that conflict, India and Pakistan were formed. And originally, I'm old enough to remember this, Pakistan was included where it is now, but it also included Bangladesh, which if you look on the map is the other side of India. (laughs) And Kashmir was always a bit of a disputed part of the territories, but it was given largely, and Kashmir is even a bit of a divided area, but 
Kashmir as we know it today was given to India very tentatively <laughs> because Kashmir is a majority Muslim state. And so that's really the root of the present problem. And at the moment, it's hit a new low. Violence has broken out. And I just read an op-ed uh, in uh, the Wall Street Journal a few days ago, written by a Muslim gentleman. And of course, he showed his sympathies in the way he outlined it. But it's very hard to get a good guy out of the conflict. The locals are, are very restive, supportive of Pakistani incursions, they, they, uh, there's acts of violence. India tends to overreact on occasion. They've restricted freedoms and political activity in Kashmir, which has sort of operated as a semi-independent aspect of India. But after this latest round of violence, India has suspended the special status of Kashmir, pretty much lowered the boom and, and what amounts to a, a state of siege and, a, and an emergency uh, declaration. And uh, now the Kashmiris do have some reason to say that they're being picked on, they're being restricted, and there's not real freedom. And, of course, now Pakistan is foaming at the mouth, ready to uh, perhaps invade again. And what the world should notice, with all of the paranoia about Russia and China, the world should pay attention that Pakistan has somewhere between 140 to 150 nuclear warheads. Mm. India has 130 to 140 warheads. And that they've gone to war, by my counting, at least three times in my lifetime, not to mention a continual low-level conflict in Kashmir. So on the religious basis, this is a festering sore on the, uh, the world religious community. And in a, in a uh, geopolitical aspect for a concern for world peace, this is a very problematic flashpoint. So now we have two religion-based countries facing each other, a collection of religion-based countries facing each other, and they now have nuclear weapons. That's what you're telling us? Yes. The simple answer is yes, but I, I should point out India is a secular state as far as the structure of government. Okay. Uh -huh. But the sensibility, of course, oh, okay. is dominantly right. Hindu. All right. But no, they've tried to create a uh, secular government. It's not a government predicated on or officially supporting a religion. But that said, Hindu nationalists have been growing in fervor and and even in violent application of their principles for some time. My. Well, Lincoln, you've painted a pretty dark picture over there. What's it like uh, to live in that kind of environment when you have a belief system that may not be popular with your neighbor? Well, periodically it means, as we see in that part of the world, that, that on, on a pretext or someone yells something in a crowded market, and it's not uncommon for crowds to lynch an individual or destroy an area of town where there's the other religion. It happens from time to time. And to be fair, not just, say, uh, Hindus going against Muslims or the other way around. Yeah. Sometimes Christians are treated the same way. There's a lot of intolerance, not because they're more intolerant people, but, you know, you get down to a village level where people are not necessarily more very educated or sophisticated. Yeah. And, and the group pressure is strong, and they can be more easily manipulated. But it results in quite violent streaks episodes periodically, and that is increasing, I think. I think you can make a good case that the, certainly in Kashmir, it's a reaching a flashpoint. 
and the world is not looking very closely. Mm. And the Muslims are saying, which I think is true, that at the moment the U.S. Trump is making good words, you know, saying that he's going to work with them and help them with peace. But the U.S. is not overly sensitive to moral or freedom issues at the moment, as long as it can get an ally out of the issue. And uh, the U.S. is not in a mood to offend India right now. Yes, yes. Well, we have a good example in this situation, in this part of the world, what happens when religious intolerance is backed by some political power. Am I right in saying that? Yes, and with the risk of being tried, I'll draw a parallel. You know, there's the old saying, love makes the world go round. But yeah. in reality, religion and religious loyalties, as always, make the world go round. And it's often the most powerful dynamic at play in larger events. Well, we've been talking about Kashmir today with uh, Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. We invite you to the website of Liberty Magazine. It's simply libertymagazine.org. Lincoln, thank you very much. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at the same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <laughs>